We've been studying the beginning of Parakei, Yeshua Parakei. The first section of the Parak is about the mass circumcision, the, the mass mila that occurred at Gilgal. The, we've been discussing this for a couple of weeks already. Hashem told Yeshua, make harvos turim, sharp swords or, or knives of rock, and shuv molotmei Israel shenis, do a, another circumcision. We discussed various pshatim and what shenis means, what shuv means. Many of the commentaries say the first one was the, the big mass circumcision on the eve of the Exodus, right before they left Mitzrayim, they did a mass circumcision. Yeshua did this. Yeshua circumcised all the people. And then the Pesukim explained why there were so many people who needed a bris milah. You know, today, most Jews are circumcised. Why was there a need for a mass bris milah? So the Pesukim explained that the people who left Egypt, all the Jews who had left Egypt had died in the desert, the 40-year period after the sin of the Miraglim, the sin of the spies, all the adult military-age Jewish people had died in the Midbar. And the Pesukim explained, all the Jews who had left Egypt had been circumcised, but they all died. However, and this is the key issue, all the Jews who had been born in the desert on the, on the road, they had not had Mila. <coughs> and then the Pesukim explained again, because the Jews spent 40 years in the Midbar until all the men of military age who left Egypt had died because they were lo shamu b'kol Hashem, they didn't listen to the voice of God. And Hashem swore he would not bring them into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And then, Pasuk Zion, that's b'neihem heikim tachtam osim al Yoshua. But their children, who were born in the desert, they had not had bris Mila. The Yeshua, they were the ones Yeshua circumcised. The entire younger generation who were born in the desert, they were the ones Yeshua circumcised in this mass circumcision. They were uncircumcised. They had not been circumcised on the road. So we began to discuss why were they not circumcised. The, 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 the great question here, of course, is... Right, get to that in a minute. The great question is, why were they not circumcised? Mila is a great mitzvah. It's one of the central and fundamental mitzvahs of, of Judaism. Abraham Avinu was already commanded to do bris mila. Why was there no mila in the Midbar? Simcha mentioned because it's dangerous. The, the, psukim, the psukim are remarkably silent. The psukim just say, kilo malawosam badarach. They did not circumcise them on the road. What Simcha said, that it was dangerous, this is the opinion of the Talmud. The Talmud in Masechus Yuvamas, in Bavli in Masechus Yuvamas, asked the question forthright, explicitly, but Midbar my time alone, why didn't they do Mila in the Midbar? So the Talmud gives two reasons, both of which, uh, both of which are based on the idea of danger. The Talmud gives two reasons why it was dangerous. Either because the rigors of the journey made it dangerous to do bris Mila. The north wind didn't blow. The, the north wind is uh, what the, the, the Talmud is telling us is salubrious. It helps people recover. And, uh, but this wind was not blowing because d- during the 40-year period they were in the desert. Why was that? In turn, why was that? So the Talmud brings two pshatim for that as well. Either because Mishum Dinazufim Havu, they were in disgrace because of the sin. Rashi says the sin of the Egel. Rashi says the sin of the Egel. So they, they, so they, they didn't merit this special... The special favor of God's grace of this uh, healthy and helpful wind. The, the God didn't want this wind to disperse the Naniyakava, the clouds of glory. And the Gemara goes on. The Gemara says, from this idea that that that, that if the north wind is not blowing, we can't do Mila. It follows from that that Yoma Diva, a cloudy day, we don't do Bris Mila on either a cloudy day or a sunny day. So the sunny day is for a different issue, but the cloudy day is because if it is because there are no winds blowing away the, there, the because there are no winds blowing away the clouds. So if it's cloudy that, and you don't have this wind, that means it's dangerous. <coughs> the Gemara says, however, today we no longer follow this, this this prescription. We no longer are careful not to do mila on a cloudy day. Of course, we do mila on cloudy days, and the reason is Hashem, God watches over the the foolish. This is a principle that, that appears in halacha in different contexts. Certain types of behaviors which are objectively have some danger attached to them, but if society as a whole 
considers this uh, a reasonable activity, a reasonable risk, then halacha tolerates it as well. We mentioned in the early days of smoking, I think we mentioned uh, some poskim invoked Shomer P'sayim Hashem when, the, even, though, even, though, even though science had shown us that smoking was objectively dangerous, the world considered it uh, a legitimate thing to do, at least in the early day, earlier days, a few decades ago, and some poskim said halacha wouldn't forbid smoking either. As the, as the science increased and the understanding of how bad smoking was for you, just how bad it was increased and permeated societal consciousness, and, and smoking became more and more widely rejected as being uh, unacceptably dangerous, so poskim became increasingly stringent on the whole, to the extent that in recent years there was a uh, Sephardic rabbi in Israel, I think, who ruled that someone who smokes cannot be an aide, cannot be a witness at a, at a, at a, at a marriage, because the witness has to be a, an observant Jew in good standing. Someone who is throwing away his life by smoking is in violation of the Torah's precepts about preserving life and is invalid to be a witness. That's a little bit extreme. So, so the question is, if we say there was no wind blowing, if we say the reason is it was dangerous because there was no north wind, and there was no north wind because they were in Nizufim, they were in disgrace, and Rashi says the disgrace was because of the Egel, so there, so there would have been a period, it wasn't a long period, it would have been about uh, a couple of months from, 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 from the... From, there were 50 days from the Pesach until Matan Torah, and then 40 days when 40 days when Moses went up to heaven and came down. They did the Egil on the day he came down, basically the day before, the day he came down. So that would have been a couple of months, about three months, where presumably some children would have been born, and those children should have had Rismila. Yes. Right, so Simcha says maybe it means most of the nation didn't have bris mila. There would have been, maybe there were a few who had bris mila. And the truth is that, that, that there, there's another point that should be made in the same vein that the Malbim points this out, that the, it says all the Jews, the Psukim say, all the Jews who were of military age, the men of military age who had left Mitzrayim died in the desert. The Psukim say the ones who died were the ones between 20 and 60. The younger children did not die. So the ones who were 15 when they left, the, the, the Egel happened about a year, within the first year after they left Egypt. So the ones who were, let's say, 15 when they left Egypt, or 12, or 6, or 3, they all had brismilas, and, and they did not die. So besides, the, besides this question of maybe babies who were born in those three months between the Exodus and, uh, and, and the Egel, there also would have been, the Malbim points out, a whole cadre of younger children who didn't, who, who didn't die in the Midbar, and they all would have had brismilas. So they would have been alive in Mitzrayim, but the Pesukim, we do seem to be assuming that there was a mass bris mila in Mitzrayim. It says, we said before, it says, B'Shuv Molot Bnei Yisrael Shainis, this was the second mass bris mila. They may not have been doing bris mila in Mitzrayim throughout the period of the Gullus, but there does seem to have been a universal mass bris mila. I don't know if they got every single person, but on the whole, there would have been a lot of people who would have had bris mila, and probably most of the nation had bris mila the, the, on the eve of the Exodus, and all those people who were younger than 20 would have, you know, would have lived through, many of them, and some of them might have died for other causes, but many of them would have lived through the Midbar, and they were young, healthy people, and they, and they, they, they would have, so they, they would have, there might have been some groups that did have Rismila. But on the whole, most of the nation did not have Rismila, apparently, because most of the nation had, had most of the nation had, had died, though those who had the Rismila in Egypt had died, and the, therefore there was a need for a new Rismila, and as we just saw, the Gemara says it was dangerous, and uh, that's why they didn't have the Rismila. Now, the counterpoint to this is that this is what the Talmud says. The Talmud says that they didn't have, the Talmud explains these psukim, that they didn't have brismila because it was dangerous. There is a different midrash, though. Rashi, in his commentary to the Chumash, Rashi on Pashas Bezos Bracha, Rashi brings a different midrash. When, when, Mo, when Moshe Rabbeinu, on his, right, shortly before he dies, he gives various... Uh, Zosah Bracha, Pasha Zosah Bracha, about this is the Bracha, this is the blessing that Moses gave. In yesterday's Pasha, we read about Yaakov's deathbed blessings, the blessing he gave to his, blessings and prophecies that he gave to his children on his deathbed right before he died. And Pasha Zosah Bracha is about uh, Moses' blessings to the tribes of Israel right before he died. And there, are, and there are certain parallels between the two sets of blessings, the, the animal comparisons, they're not all compared to the same animals. This is something I always like to point out. If you compare the animals that the... Yaakov compared his sons to and the, and the animals that Moshe compared the tribes to. There are some that are the same and there are some that are different. So for example so for example 
So, 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 so some of them, Binyamin is compared to a wolf by Yaakov. He's not compared to any, uh, any animal by Moshe. Yehuda. Yehuda is compared to a, again, not compared to any, to any animal in, uh, to any animal in, in Zosabrach. He's compared to a lion in, uh, compared to a lion by Yaakov. Um, God is compared to a lion by Moshe. God is a kind of lion. So God is compared. God is compared to a lion. He is. Uh, he's not compared to any animal by Yaakov. Don is compared to a lion as well. Don is compared to a lion by by Moshe. Yaakov, of course, compares him to a snake. So yeah, okay, but. Uh, Anyways, Moshe gives similar brachas to Yaakov. Moshe gives similar brachas to the tribes about their military successes and their, 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 when, they went into, when they would go into Eretz Israel. So in the course of the brachas, so when he, when he discusses Levi, he, Moshe says as follows. Moshe says, U'levi amar, Tumecha v'urecha le'ishcha sidecha, v'orim v'tumim, asher nisisov ma'asel t'rebeo me'am riva. And then it says, the next passage says, Ki shamruim rasecha, Shevet Levi was faithful to God. They they obeyed your 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 statements, your precepts. and they kept Yinsoru is the word that means like Shmira. They guarded. They 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 followed scrupulously. They kept your covenant. What does that mean? So the Rashi brings a midrash. Bris means Bris Mila. They kept Bris Mila, and Rashi says that the midrash says this is this is a, a midrash of the Sifri. That the midrash refers to our psukim and Yoshua, that the Jews in general did not have brismila in the midbar, as the psukim and Yoshua say, but Shevet Levi did. The midrash says Shevet Levi did. Most of the Jews did not circumcise their children in the desert, because it was dangerous. Shevet Levi, they did do brismila on themselves and their children. Shevet Levi did brismila. So the obvious question we have now is, okay. So if the Jews didn't do it because it was dangerous, then why was Shevet Levi doing it? If, if it's really dangerous, you shouldn't do it. If a, if a, if a doctor recommends you not do bris mila because it's dangerous, then you're, 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 you're wrong if you go do bris mila. You're not supposed to throw away life for no reason. So, so what happened here? If the, who was right? Was Shevet Levi right? Were the Jewish people right? What, what, what exactly happened here? Assuming this midrash is, we can reconcile it with the Talmud Bavli. Assuming that, so, so, how, how do we, how do we reconcile these two statements? Was it too, was it unacceptably dangerous? Was it not unacceptably dangerous? So related to this question is is another question, a tangible halachic question. There's a halacha that if a person fails to do mila without a good excuse, certainly if he fails to do it without a good reason, he simply. Flouts the, flouts the commandment to do Mila. So the halacha is, he is excluded from bringing the Karim Pesach. The, 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 it says about the Pesach that an RL can't eat the Pesach, and, and the halacha also is that even if a person fails to do Mila on his sons, and even on Avadim, I think, if a person fails, not just himself, if a person fails to circumcise those whom it is his responsibility to circumcise, he's also considered delinquent in the commandment of Mila, and he is excluded from offering and eating the Karim Pesach. So, Tosfus on this Gemara in Yuvamas, Tosfus says that he, he also brings us a free. He brings us a free who says that the Begnusan shall Yisrael see Parakasiv, that when the Torah says they didn't do bris mila, when the, when the Psukim and Navi say they didn't do bris mila, that the, I'm sorry, the, not, not, not the Psukim in Yeshua, but, but, the, but the Psukim in, in Baloscha. It says there that they brought, they brought the Pesach, and that's where, that's where it discusses Pesach Cheney, the, the chant. The chance to have a the chance to have a makeup carbon pesach. It, so the, the, the Torah there in Baloska discusses the offering of the carbon pesach. It says it says it says over there that God spoke to Moshe the second year when they left Egypt, meaning the first year they left on Pesach. They, the Exodus occurred on Pesach. They split the sea on the seventh day. They, they, left, they left on the on the on the fifteenth of Nisan. The, 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 they they. The, the morning of the 15th, they, 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 the seventh day they crossed the Amsuf, Shavuos was the Torah. The next Pesach, the anniversary of, the, of their exodus from Egypt, 
It says there, so God instructed the people, the Yasuo B'nai Yisrael, to Pesach, Pesach Mado. They should now make the Pesach on the appointed time. It's now the anniversary. It's now Pesach again. Bring the current Pesach. And Moshe said, bring the Pesach. And it says, by Yasuo, it's a Pesach Parishon. They brought the current Pesach as they were supposed to. Kechol Shertziva Hashem as Moshe, Kenosu B'nai Yisrael. They did everything Hashem commanded Moshe. They did it all right. And they brought the Pesach. They followed God's law and everything was great. Then you have the story of the Pesach Sheni. There were some who couldn't bring Pesach Rishon. They appealed to Moshe. We want a chance to make it up. And then God granted them the, 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 the makeup date of Pesach Sheni. So the Sifri says, on this parsha, the Sifri says that Rashi brings it as well. Rashi brings it on, the, on this Pasuk. Velomolo Pasach Pazu. The Rashi, Rashi, Rashi makes an interesting point that if we look at the very beginning of Parshas of Chumash Bamidbar, the very first pasuk in, in Parshas Bamidbar, the the very first pasuk in Chumash Bamidbar begins. Hashem spoke to Moshe. He instructed him to take the, the the grand census of the Jewish people, which occupies all of Bamidbar and half of Naso. So he, he gave the order for that census. This 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 episode occurred. The first day of the month, of the second month, which was Iyar, Nisan Iyar. Nisan is the first month in the Torah, and Iyar is the second month. is the second year. So this story of the census occurred in Iyar of the second year. And the story in Baaloscha of the current Pesach occurs on the anniversary of the Exodus on Pesach Rishon. The second part of the story occurs on Pesach Sheni, but the first part occurred on Pesach Rishon, on, on, on Yud Dalad of Nisan. So the stories are out of order. The, the, the beginning of Chumash Midbar is occurring in Iyar of the second year, and the Parshish Baloska, the story of, of, the, of the Pesach, begins on, on Pesach, Nisan of the second year. So, so these stories are out of order. Why does the Torah do that? So Rashi says, Rashi brings the Sifri again, because this story of Pesach Rishon, even though it sounds like a beautiful story, the Jews did everything they were commanded to do, they did it uh, perfectly, and they were even disappointed. Those who couldn't do it were disappointed. They begged Hashem for a chance to make it up. It sounds like a beautiful story of the Jews' devotion to God. But the Shafri says, no, it was not. Actually, the story contains an allusion to a, a, a very disgraceful aspect of Jewish history. The Gnusan Shel Yisrael, it contains uh, uh, an unfortunate aspect of Jewish history. Because the entire 40 years they spent in the desert, yes, this time they brought the Pesach the way they were supposed to, but this was the last time they brought the Pesach until, we're going to read soon, I think, in Yeshua, they brought another Pesach. So for the, for the next 39 years, for the rest of the 40 years, they did not bring the carbon Pesach. So why not? Why didn't they bring the Pesach? They, 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 they weren't, they weren't Rishayim. Why weren't they bringing the carbon Pesach? What? Simcha says they didn't bring the Pesach because they didn't have a bris milah. And that's what Tosu says. Tosu says that Tosu brings the Sifri who says that the, that the Sifri says that it was Gnus and Shal Yisrael. They only brought one Pesach in the second year. The first year, obviously, when they left Egypt. In the second year, for the rest of their sojourn through the desert, they did not bring the Pesach. And says Tosu, why? The Tema. Was it amazing? Were they, were they Rishon who just didn't bring the carbon? They just didn't care about God's mitzvah? Maybe the reason is because of the Mila, which is what Simcha was saying. Maybe the reason is because they didn't have Mila. That uh, Mila is Ma'akev. There's a halacha that if you don't do Mila, you can't bring a Pesach. Maybe that's the reason. And that's called Gnusen Shal Yisrael because it's their fault that they, that they didn't do the Mila. And, and even, even though once they didn't have a Mila, they couldn't bring the Pesach. Who asked them not to have a Mila? So that's their fault. So what's the problem with that? Is, is it really their fault that they couldn't bring the Pesach because they didn't do Mila? Right? So Sim, that's what Tosha says. Simcha, Simcha says what Tosha says next. But we just said they couldn't do the Mila because the, they couldn't do the Mila because it was dangerous. There was no wind or the rigors of the journey meant it was too dangerous to do the Mila. Because they couldn't do the Mila, Tosha says that's why they couldn't bring the Pesach. But that's not true, Tosha says. The, the halacha seems to be the only time that a failure to do Mila is, is an obstacle to bring a Pesach is only... If it's uh, if it's an un- if it's an inexcusable if it's uh, if it's an if it's an if it's an unjustified failure to do mila, if you have good reason for not doing mila because it's dangerous, Tosa says you could bring the pesach. So Tosa brings a gemara. The gemara says that the. Right. If it was dangerous, it wasn't their fault. If it was, first of all, it wouldn't be Gnusan. Maybe it wouldn't be called Gnusan. It wouldn't be. Maybe Tosa says it wouldn't be a reason to not bring the Pesach. 
So Tosha says, because of this, because of this logic, that how does it make sense to say they couldn't bring the Pesach, and how can we be putting blame, ascribing blame to them if they were too dangerous to do Mila? Tosha says, you're right. They did bring the Pesach. Contrary to what the Sifri seems to say, because that failure to do Mila was not their fault, they indeed were not disqualified from the Pesach. They did do the Pesach. When the Sifri says they didn't bring the Pesach, we don't take the Sifri at face value. What the, what the Sifri means is, There was only one which was done in an ideal way, with properly circumcised people. The other ones, they were done because it wasn't their fault, so they couldn't do Mila, so they brought the Pesach. But since, they, after all, they didn't have Mila, it wasn't a perfect, ideal covered Pesach. That's how Tosis understands the Sifri. It's obviously not exactly what the Sifri says. It's, uh, it's obviously a, a little bit of a less-than-ideal reading of the Sifri. But Tosis says that the logic is compelling. Because it was too dangerous to do Mila, it obviously was not their fault. Because it was not their fault, they were not disqualified from bringing the Pesach. When the Sifri says that they only brought one, it meant they only brought one ideal Pesach with all the, with, with all the proper forms. But in the Kanami, it was not their fault they didn't do Mila. And therefore, they were not disqualified from actually bringing the Pesach. Yes? Right, the ones who were circumcised, I, I, I assume, did bring the Pesach. I'm sorry? You mean, uh, you mean all the, I mean, the first few years, but the ones who left Egypt were still mostly alive? That, right, that's a good point. That, 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 that certainly, the first few, assuming they died more or less evenly over the 40 years, so the, the beginning of that period, there would have been la- a large crowd. It's a good point, yeah, I'm not sure. That's a, that's a, and Levy could have brought it, according to the Midrash we said before, Levy could have brought it, right? Yep, good point, yeah, I don't have a really good answer for that. We're, we're getting to that. We're getting to that. So, according to Tosus, the Tosus understands that the Tosus takes this Gemara basically at face value. It was really too dangerous to do Mila. It was the right thing to do to not do Mila. The Jews were justified in not doing Mila. And the, they were justified in not doing Mila. The Zifri still calls it a Gnus because at the end of the day, for a Jew not to have a bris Mila, maybe it's not his fault, but it's, it's obviously not, uh, it's obviously not the, the ideal way to live as a Jew. You have no choice, you have no choice, but it wasn't ideal. But in terms of fault, in terms of the moral calculus here, Tosu says it was not their fault, and, the, and they did the right thing in not doing Mila, and they were not disqualified from bringing the Pesach. There is a different opinion, though, that Avinezer brings the Ramban, the Ramban says that they could not bring the Pesach. The Ramban says that the that the, the Ramban says that they that they actually were disqualified from they actually were disqualified from bringing the current Pesach since they didn't do Mila, and they, they were they actually seemed to have been at fault. The one moment. The Avanezer brings the Ramban. The Ramban says when they didn't do Mila in the desert, because they didn't have Ruach Tzvonis, the Ramban says, Mila's Bneim Hayam Ma'akiv, Hayam Ma'akiv. The, the failure to do Mila at that point stopped them from bringing the Pesach. So Tosa says it can't be because they were justified in not doing the Mila because of the danger. Ramban says, no, the, 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 the Mila was Ma'akiv. Ramban seems to think that it was their fault. Says the Avanezer, what do you mean? But, but Tosa is right, Lachar, that, that, that it was if the Gemara said it's dangerous, so. Umar says it's dangerous, and Darmanesh and, and Tosis is clearly correct. If it's dangerous, then the, then the Mila is not, the failure of the Mila is not Ma'akit. So then uh, it brings various proofs to this that, 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 that if, a, if a person doesn't do Mila for justifiable reasons, that does not exclude him from the Pesach. So what does Ramban mean that the, that the failure to do Mila was Ma'akit? So Darmanesh says a great Chiddush. He says, even though there was a certain element of danger, it doesn't matter. They should have done Mila anyway. Now, obviously, we know we don't do Mila. We don't do Mila when it's dangerous. But the Avnezer proposes a great Chiddush. He says, certainly if there's a major danger, you don't do Mila at all. But if the danger is, there is an in-between, and if the danger is, you know, de minimis, is basically virtually zero, then it doesn't matter. But if there is a certain moderate, you know, low, but not t- totally insignificant amount of danger, the Avnezer says, in such a case, the halacha takes a middle ground. The halacha says, if, the, if this problem is expected to pass, It'll last for a few weeks or even a few years, and then he'll outgrow it. The problem will go away, or he'll get stronger. The kid will get stronger, or something. In a case like that, where by waiting we can avoid the danger, even though the danger is relatively small, but if it is a non-zero risk, 
and we can avoid it by waiting, then we wait. Uh, certainly if it's a few weeks or a few days or maybe even a few years. However, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a permanent problem, a chronic problem, an ongoing problem, and, and being choshish for the danger would mean that we skip the mila entirely, then, then, then we say no. We say, we say it's important to do the mila anyway, and we take the risk and we do it. Therefore, Avinezer says, this problem of the, of the desert was going to last for 40 years, and therefore, it was, it, it, it was not an etzer to say, just wait indefinitely. Again, I'm not sure you get into Daniel's point here. I'm not sure how this is going to work, where you know, for the first people in the first 40 years who were born, they couldn't wait 40 years to do the mila. People who were born on the tail end of this time, who were born six months before, before the end of the 40-year period, six months maybe you could wait. So I'm not sure where you draw the line exactly between like, short-term waiting and long-term waiting. But the basic point of the Abinezer is, that, that Mila has, a, has this unique halacha that for, that, that for a small amount of danger, for a certain, again, yeah, where to draw the line, how much danger are we talking about is a good question. But Mila has this halacha that for a certain, for, for a certain, for a certain range of uh, degree of danger, we say it depends. If you can reasonably wait and, and avert the, even that danger, you should do it. But if you can't, if it's, if it's, if it's going to mean pushing off the Mila indefinitely, then the then you, uh, then you, then you do the, then, 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 then you do the meal anyway, because the, the then, then you do the meal anyway. So that's so the Avnezer says that's a sheet to the Ramban, that therefore the Jews were wrong. The Jews who said we're not going to do it because of danger, even though it'll mean waiting years and years to do meal on our kids, the Jews were wrong. They, they were right that there was danger. They they, were, they weren't complete rishayim. But at the end of the day, they went too far. Mila, the halacha is, even though there is some element of danger, if, the, if because of that you're going to wait indefinitely for, a, for at least for a relatively low amount of danger, that's not the right conduct. Therefore, Shevet Levi was correct in doing Mila. Shevet Levi said, we know there's a small amount of danger, we'll be Moser Nefesh, because uh, it's, it's not Kedai to wait indefinitely to do Mila. And Klai Yisrael, who was so concerned with this danger that they pushed off Mila indefinitely, Klai Yisrael were wrong. That is the Shita of Davni Nezer, at least according to the Ramban. Right, so the question is, what if someone pushes off Mila not because it's dangerous in the sense of... Let's say it is dangerous, but then the person is over, so they're going to feel pain. Right, so so the question is, if you do it now, it's a little more dangerous, but the baby's an infant, it's it's, it's easier to do without uh, without, uh, debilitating pain. If you wait, it might be safer, but it also might be... Yeah, so post-kim, post-kim, post-kim do talk about this, I think, uh, the, the, the idea that at one point, Avinezer has a number of different shuvas on this topic. At one point, he makes the cheshbon that if you're going to have to do the meal anyway, so for example, at one point, he brings the cheshbon that the, that accepting, he has a lot of different ideas. He goes back and forth on these ideas. At one point, he proposes an idea that this idea that we accept a small amount of risk for Mila, a person himself can accept risk on himself. A person shouldn't impose the risk on others, so he shouldn't, appoint, he shouldn't impose the risk on his son. Then he says, wait a second, what does that mean? So the father's not going to impose the risk on his son because I, I can't impose risk on another human being. But then when the kid grows up, he'll have to do it himself, and it'll hurt a lot more then. So it's in his own interest. He's going to do it anyway. He's going to have to do it anyway when he gets older. So I might as well spare him the... <coughs> I might as well spare him the pain by doing it now, where it'll be... Uh, bite the bullet, kind of, and just do it now and get it over with instead of having to subject him. Yes, I'm not sure in general how we treat this question. Today, today we do anesthesia. We discussed, I think, the last time we discussed the question of using anesthesia. Kipshuto, they didn't have uh, you know, workable anesthesia in the time of Chazal. There are some who claim they did, but today we have anesthesia. So today, I, I, I don't actually know, you know how, what the pain is like after the bris. I know when you have you know, other surgeries that you might feel no pain during the surgery, but you'll feel it afterward for... for uh, You'll, you'll feel it after the after the anesthesia wears off. You'll you'll feel a, quite a quite a significant amount of pain later. So I'm not sure how Mila works. If they use anesthesia during the Mila, I'm not sure how much pain you'll feel afterward. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not actually sure how how, how we deal with that. But this is the idea. Levi was in the middle around the Mishkan. Uh huh. 
weren't in the same danger as the others. So the, the, the suggestion is that maybe another reason Levi might have made a different, a different decision, a different choice than the rest of Kali Yisrael is not just because they were more pious and more uh, devoted to the word of God, maybe because they were safer, they had an internal position where they had some shielding by the other tribes from enemies and so on, so maybe they could afford to uh, incapacitate themselves. Interesting point. I, I didn't think of that, but it's an interesting suggestion. Yes, it, it's true that the, the, the formation of the tribes were Levi, the Mishkan was in the center, Levi was around the Mishkan, and then around that were, on, on the four sides, were three tribes, uh, three of the other tribes on each of the, the four compass directions. In order to do Logistics. The, que- the question is logistics. Uh, you need many, many, many sheep. Several, several people can share a sheep, but, uh, but you still need uh, a large quantity of sheep. So, so did they, uh, what did they do for, so they only brought one Pesach, but that first Pesach, or if they would have tried to do any later Pesach, where would they have gotten all the sheep from? It's a good question. I, I don't know if they addressed it. There are some discussions about the general topic. So for example, for example, there, there's a whole discussion in the Gemara about whether they, 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 they brought carbonos in the Mishkan, the carbon tumid every day, and so on. There is a question whether the Jews ate meat, what we call uh, basar taiva, whether the Jews ate regular meat like we do in the Midbar. If they did, where did they get it from? You know, we know they survived on mun, and they survived on slav, the birds that God brought. The question is, did they also have... So the Ramaphashim would say that they, that they did have some commercial relations with merchants, peddlers, people would... Uh, that they, did, they, they, they did have some kind of commercial contacts with people who would bring them food, whether that scaled up to the logistical uh, challenge of providing, uh, like you said, thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of sheep for a whole nation. I don't know. It's an interesting question, and I'm not sure. It's an interesting point. So, Avinezer concludes, at least, at least according to some opinions, he, he, he proposes this idea that the, that, the, that was the calculus, that, that really Shevet Levy was correct, and even though there was some danger, since the danger wasn't huge, and, and, and the alternative was pushing off the Mila indefinitely, Shevet Levy did the correct thing in doing Mila right away. The rest of Klai Israel, they did have an excuse, but they weren't, uh, ultimately it was not the right thing to do, because you shouldn't push off Mila indefinitely for years and years because of, because of this kind of consideration. The, the Abinezer then brings another shot. The Abinezer says that Abinezer says that the I'm sorry, I think I may have been confusing the, the right, the, 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 the Abinezer, the Abinezer says that the that the his first approach is this that his first approach is this that this, this that we say this that we say that the this that we say that the that that, that to put that, that to push off the mila entirely, push off the mila entirely. You don't do because of danger. That's his first approach. His second approach is that that this was since this was something that affected all of Klal Yisrael. It's not just that pushing off the mila indefinitely you don't do. This affected all of Klal Yisrael. We have the idea of shasa shmat. The Gemara talks about sometimes even minor things, even minhagim, even changing the color of straps and shoes. Normally, you're only Moser Nefesh, you only have to give up your life for the three cardinal sins of Odezara, Gili Arayosh, Vichazdam, murder, idolatry, sexual transgressions. However, Bishas Hashmad, if there's a concerted program to, to uh, erase Torah and mitzvahs, to erase the Jewish faith from the Jewish people, then you have to give up your life for even other things, even Menhagim, other mitzvahs, even Menhagim. So the Avenazer suggests, he says, that <coughs> his first shot was that, 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 that the reason they, have to, that we're, they were expected to do meal even though it was dangerous was because pushing it off indefinitely is not, an, it's not a good reason. His second approach is to say that the, not because it was indefinite, but because when something affects the whole Klai Yisrael, an individual can say, I'm pushing off the Mila because it's too dangerous. But if, but if that means no Mila for all of Klai Yisrael, or for most of Klai Yisrael, the, the, that, that, that it would mean that nobody in Klai Yisrael is doing Mila for a period of time, that's not acceptable. To say the whole Klai Yisrael is not doing Mila, he says, maybe that's the reason they couldn't do it. Ultimately, he says that that's not Masha from the Rambam, that, the, that that's not Masha from the Rambam, because the unless it's a deliberate, conscious attempt to Shema, the fact that it's a widespread problem, ultimately, Avinezer concludes, at least according to the Rambam, that this idea of Shas Shema doesn't kick in unless it's a question of intent. The fact that there's something affecting Torah and mitzvahs for all of Israel, that's not considered Shas Shema with special rules. It's only if there is human, conscious intent to uh, take Torah and mitzvahs away from Jews. Here, there was no human intent to do so. It was a, it was a meteorological problem. It was a climate problem. There was no conscious intent to stop Jews from doing Mila, 
So he concludes that that would not be considered Shas Hashmad, and therefore, the, therefore, you have to go back to his first shot. He says that the that, that when you're dealing with a low risk situation, you do push off Mila, but only if it's uh, only in the, if, if there's a concrete end to the to the pushing it off. Only if it's for a, a limited duration, when it's open ended and indefinite and going on for years, you don't push off Mila for a relatively low chashash. We don't do Mila night, correct? So, so, so Lewis is saying that, that we don't do meal at night, only during the day, and the suggestion is because there's not enough light to see to do it safely. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd have to look into that further. I don't know if that's the reason the post can give. It is true that, that many of the halachas that involve, that, that require day and not night, there are cases where posts can explicitly make that point. So, for example, the halacha is that based in, ideal, uh, based in, in theory, doesn't operate at night, doesn't do certain aspects of their proceedings at night, and there's a... The, there's a famous Sma, one of the great commentaries in Choshen Mishpat, there's a famous Sma who says, even though the Gemara says that a nair is not enough, a, a candle, a, a light is not enough, that's only a small thing like a nair, a single lamp, he says. But if you have a vuka, if you have a good, robust light source, then you can do the, then you can do the din even at night. He says, ultimately, the Gemara compares night to a blind person. Ultimately, he says this, this idea that you're saying, that the reason you don't do it at night, I think he says, is because Basin can operate better, they can read the litigants' facial expressions and so on, I think he says, or others say, that ultimately it's because they, they, can, they, they, can, they can operate more effectively during the day, and therefore at night, if you have good lighting, then, then you do the, Basin can operate at night as well. Too dangerous. It's a good point. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the commentaries suggests that. I, I don't know enough about it. I, I, it's possible. I, I, it's definitely within the realm of possibility, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting suggestion. Um, the, the reason why if you, if you, if on the, if on the night of Rosh Hodesh, if you, if you, if you don't, if you, if you forget Yalab Yahu, you don't have to repeat for the S-ray, is because Beeston can't operate at night, so it, so the witnesses wouldn't be able to tell Beeston. But if there was, but if you had it like the Beeston was light, so and, and the witnesses, then, and, and the witnesses could have came. So Simcha has a very ingenious point. Uh, I mentioned Basin doesn't operate at night. And because of that, when Basin sanctifies the new moon, that's one of the, that's one of the functions of Basin. We don't do that today, but they, they, they used to have Basin sanctify the new moon and establish the calendar based on witness testimony. Basin can't do that at night. Basin would have to wait for the, even if witnesses came at night and saw the new moon. Basin couldn't proceed. Basin has to wait till the morning because that's the halacha. Basin can only operate during the day. Today, when we deal with civil cases, the litigants often waive that procedural rule. They say, you know, we, we grant basin authority to, to, to operate at night. That's because in civil procedure, the litigants can, can alter the rules because it's their money. They, they can make their own arrangements. But Kiddush HaKodesh, or cases which, which involve inherent objective functions of basin, not up to the litigants, and basin cannot operate at night. So, so, so Simcha is pointing out that the, there is actually a halacha that, that, that's relevant today that's based on that. The, the, there's a famous halacha. If a person forgets Yalav Yavo on Rosh Chodesh, he's davening Shmon Esrei, and he forgets Yalav Yavo, for Shachris, let's say. Right. So for, if a person forgets Yalav Yavo on, on Shachris of Rosh Chodesh, he has to say Shmon Esrei again. We we'll go back and say it again with Yalav Yavo. If, however, he forgets Yalav Yavo on the night of Rosh Chodesh, the, the Marav of the night beginning of Rosh Chodesh, he does not go back and say Shmon Esrei again. Not because Marav is less important, as Simcha is pointing out. On Yom Tov, for example, if you, if you, the first night of Pesach, or the second night of Pesach, or the last night of Pesach, if you forget the Yalav Yavo, you do go back. And Marav is also important. But on Rosh Chodesh... Right. Right. Simcha said he once had a misunderstanding about this, but, had, but, 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 but now he clarified it. 
the one time you don't go back for, for tefillah is for Mariv of Rosh Chodesh. And the reason is, as Simcha was saying before, the reason is because Basin cannot be Makarish the Chodesh at night. And therefore, in the time of the Mikdash, it, it wouldn't really have been fully Rosh Chodesh until the next day, because Basin couldn't be Makarish Chodesh until the next day. So therefore, Mariv of Yal, the Yal of Yavu of Mariv is less important, even though today it is Rosh Chodesh, but uh, in the time of the Mikdash, they, they wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, Rosh Chodesh didn't occur at night, because Basin couldn't operate at night, and therefore, you don't, you, therefore the Yal of Yavu doesn't become critical until the next morning. Simcha's pointing out, in light of the Smai, just said that if you have good lighting, if you have a Vuka, if you have really good lighting at night, Basin could operate. That's an interesting question. So, so the, the Talmud takes for granted based would never operate at night, but they theoretically could. If they would have provided uh, really good lighting, they would have had Thomas Edison with his contraption or whatever it was. If they would have had, uh, today we have electric lighting, which is beautiful. It's uh, Lila Kayom Yoyer. So theoretically, Basin could operate at night. So the, the, one wonders if, halacha would, if that would affect the halacha at all. I don't think it does, but it's an, it's an interesting point. It's an interesting point to contemplate. Basin, in theory, this mass says, Basin could operate at night. So, so Lewis's point was, does that apply to Mila as well? If you have really good lighting, if you can uh, drench the operating theater in, uh, in brilliant illumination and make it safe, would, would that change the halacha? It's an interesting question. I, I don't know if anyone talks about it, but it is, it is a very interesting uh, suggestion. About the Alaviavo? Yes, we still follow it today. I don't remember exactly how the post can phrase the logic, but somehow that's what they say. That somehow because in the time of the in the time of the temple and the and the Sanhedrin, that's how they would have done it. That we 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 still follow that today. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't. I think the Alaviavo halacha still remains in place, although it's an interesting question. We can contemplate whether there's any ground for changing it. This basic idea that, that Mila... So, so again, so we, so, so we, have, we have a couple of approaches. We have one approach that Tosis' approach is that the rest of Kalal Yisrael was justified in not doing Mila because it was genuinely dangerous and they, they were right in not doing Mila. That's why they could bring the current Pesach because they were justified in not doing the Mila. And the Gnusim was, at the end of the day, it's a Gnus that they couldn't bring the Pesach properly. But the Tosis says they were justified, and therefore Shevet Levi apparently was most Nefesh, Lefnim Ashuras Adin. They, they, they risked their lives, even though they weren't strictly obligated to do so, apparently, assuming this Midrash is consistent with, uh, with, with the Talmud. The Ramban's position, as Avon Ezer explains it, is, is the opposite, is that the Jews were not justified, even though the Gemara says this is why they did it, that's just to explain what their thought process was, to, to, to sort of justify it, so we can understand what they were doing, but at the end of the day, they were wrong. They, 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 they should have done Mila, and it was, it was the wrong thing to do, and that's why they couldn't bring the Karim Pesach. And that's why Shevet Levi did the right thing. Shevet Levi was correct, because, it, because you don't push off Mila indefinitely, Shevet Levi was correct, and the rest of Kalal Yisrael was, was wrong. He, he suggests another approach that the rest of, that the rest of Kalal Yisrael maybe was maybe uh, was wrong for another reason because it was like Shatz Hashmad, but ultimately he rejects that and says. But he he says based on the Ramban, he, he works with this approach that the Kalal Yisrael was wrong, even though they had a had a, they had good reason to be afraid. At the end of the day, that was not the correct halacha. The halacha is they should have accepted the small level of risk in order to do mila. This idea is actually suggested by a number of other acronym as well. The basic idea that Mila is inherently a slightly dangerous procedure, even when there are no uh, exacerbating factors. Mila is always a little bit dangerous. There's a drush in the Gemara. The Gemara says, the Pasuk says, Ki ragnu kalayom. We tell God that we were devoted to his service, that, we, that we, we are killed all day because of his service. The Midrash has a... There, there's a Midrash that this means that we risk our lives for bris Mila. Sometimes people die. I can point out that the, the mortality rate of Mila is extremely low. It's not, you know, they're not dropping like flies right, right and left, but the, and, we, and we push it off when, when, when there's an unusual level of danger, but nevertheless, the, a number of Akronim bring this point that Mila is not without danger, Mila is not totally without danger, and therefore there is a certain Mesiris Nefesh that, that's involved in Mila, and some posts can actually argue, the Beis Yitzchak actually argues, therefore Mila, even though it, it's different from most mitzvahs in the Torah, most mitzvahs in the Torah, if there's even a small amount of danger, we, we say, don't do the mitzvah, chil Shabbos, from Mechal Shabbos, for even a small amount of danger, we rush to the hospital. Mila is different. Mila, the Torah, inherently, in, intrinsically involves some danger. Even though, yes, if the danger rises above that, when, to be, rises above a certain level, we will push off Mila. But not, not, not every element of danger is, is enough, not every time, tiny amount of danger is enough to push off Mila, because Mila always has some amount of danger, and the Torah says, do Mila anyway. But Yitzchak gives one other very interesting example of this. There was, a, there was a tremendous controversy in the 19th century. The, there were apparently sensational cases 
of people who were ill or comatose or somehow in some kind of vegetative state and, and who were buried, who were, who, were, who, were, who were called dead and buried, who turned out to really be alive. So European governments, this became a major concern, European governments began passing laws that nobody should be buried until several days, I think 72 hours had passed from the, from the determination of death, just to make sure he was really dead. So there was a major controversy in the postkim about whether this should be respected or not, because this is, normally we do whatever the government says, but in this case it was involved uh, in defying the Torah's mitzvah of Kura. The mitzvah of Kura is to bury people on time, bury people right away. The question was, uh, should, we, should, should we be concerned about either the law or about the, the underlying concern for danger? Is that a reason to push off the mitzvah of Kura? So, okay, it's not that long, right? But yeah, today we often wait for other reasons, for family or for the Chavar Kedisha's availability and so on. Yeah, but the, the Beit Yitzchak says that, again, he's the same idea. He says, anytime you bury someone, yes, the, the Torah said you should bury people in the same day, ideally. They should bury him the same day. And uh, the Beit Yitzchak says that the Torah always, yes, there's a small chance of making a mistake and prematurely declaring was it Mark Twain who said uh, the, the rumors of my death were greatly exaggerated? There is a small danger, he says, of uh, burying somebody alive. But the Torah said that the risk is very low, and there's a mitzvah of Torah, and the mitzvah is to do it on the, on the same day. And the Torah says that, we, that this mitzvah, again, like Mila, is not something that we have to be concerned with a tiny possibility. Again, once the danger is significant, of course, the, the calculus changes. But if it's a very, very small danger, sometimes the Torah says that since an entire mitzvah is based on uh, a certain tolerance for risk, he says, so we, uh, so, so he says, we, we do it anyway, he says, and the, we do it anyway, even though there's a tiny chance of danger, he says. He says, and even though normally Pikuach Nefesh takes into account even tiny chances of danger, sometimes where an entire mitzvah is predicated on the assumption that the Torah wants you to accept a small amount of danger, like Mila or, or, or the mitzvah of, uh, or the mitzvah of uh, Lotalin, Lotalin of Lassi, you shouldn't keep a mace overnight. So in Mele, he says, the, in Mele, he says that, the, that the risk is acceptable. So... The bottom line is we, we have these two different approaches to the Mila of the two different approaches to the Mila of the Jews in the desert. We have Tosis' approach, which is that the Jews were correct and justified in not doing Mila, and that's why they were able to bring the Karim Pesach, not like the simple reading of the Safri and Shevet Levi apparently, if they didn't do Mila anyway, if they did Mila anyway, it was an extra degree of Mesiras Nefesh. Uh, opposed to that we have is the Shita of the Ramban, as explained by the Avnezer that uh, even though there was a certain element of danger, the Jews were, the Jews were wrong. The, the Jews should not have been so, so concerned for that very low element of danger. Shevet Levi was right. And, and the reason the Rebbe says is because A, the danger is low, it's only a chashash, and B, being choshish for it meant pushing off the Mila indefinitely. They, so in Mila, you don't do that. You don't push off Mila indefinitely. And there are halakhic ramifications to that. He says you don't push off Mila indefinitely because of a very low degree of danger. When the Gemara talks about pushing off Mila, it was only when it was for a short term, when, when, they, when they saw they'd be able to do it soon, not when it would involve an open-ended pushing off the Mila indefinitely. Just want to quote one final, one final approach to this whole thing of, uh, of Shevet Levi and, and the other Malbim. The Malbim also raises many of these questions. The Malbim on our parsha, he says... He says that he says that Shevet Levi did the Mila, so obviously it wasn't unacceptably dangerous. He says, why didn't Moshe's base make everyone do Mila? If everyone was wrong in not doing Mila, if, we, if, if we're going to say that the Jews were wrong in not doing Mila, Shevet Levi was right, why didn't Moshe make them do Mila? Moshe was in charge, he shouldn't have tolerated the, if, if the Jews were wrong, Moshe should have compelled them to do Mila. Furthermore, he says, the Gemara itself says, at the end of the Gemara, the Gemara says, it's not really so dangerous, because it's Today, people do it, it's like smoking, we said, according to some postkim. So, so, so again, if, it, if it's really safe, he says, he says, if it's really safe, so back to the question, why don't they do it in the desert? I would have said, today, it, it, it's commonly done, so today it's safe, but back then, it was, it was widely seen as dangerous. So, just like we said, perceptions of smoking change, maybe the perceptions of Mila change in the other direction. Okay, he, he doesn't say that. He deals with these questions. What was going on here? Was it really right or really wrong not to do Mila? Was Shevet Levi right? Were the rest of the Jews right? So he says, so, and he also makes the point we said before about the, those who were less than 20, the, the, they would have had Milas. And, uh, and he says that Shevet Levi, and he says that, that, that Shevet Levi indeed, uh, and indeed that Shevet Levi did Mila. So he says, so he says that, he says as follows, he says that 
similar to what we said before, according to the Ramban, there was a certain element of danger. And Shevet Levi and other tzaddikim, he says, didn't care. They said, the danger is low, we're going to do the mitzvah anyway, the danger is, is very low. And we have Shamar Psalm Hashem, the, the, the Malbim believed Shamar Psalm Hashem applied back then as well. He says it wasn't that dangerous, and they had Shamar Psalm Hashem, so the tzaddikim said, we're going to do it anyway. And what about the, the rigors of the journey? Okay, so they waited, they, 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 they stayed behind, even though that would have meant leaving the clouds of glory, because the clouds of glory moved on. So they waited, they, they, they took their chances on being on their own for a few days until they convalesced and recovered. And they relied on divine providence to help them, he says. And we find Moshe, we find in this week's passion, this coming week's passion, we find that when, when, when Moshe took the, took the journey back from Midian to Egypt, so there, there was an incident where uh, Malach of Hashem apparently was swallowing up Moshe, was going to kill him. And the reason was because he had failed to circumcise his son, and Zipporah quickly saved the day by, by do, doing a field mila on the child. And according to some understanding, the reason he didn't, why didn't Moshe do the mila? So there are different explanations, but one of the explanations is he was worried about the rigors of the journey. God said, go, I have to go. You know, the, the, the child said apparently it was time to do the mila, but he couldn't do it because they were traveling. So Moshe thought it was too dangerous, but Moshe was wrong apparently. Hashem thought he should have done mila. So you see that, 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 that the, the risks here, which are low, the, the, they're not reasons to push off the mila. So he says that the Jews really were wrong, similar to what the Avanesians is according to the Ramban. The Jews really were not correct in, in pushing off the meal. So they had an excuse. They, 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 you know, they were reluctant. They were scared. You know, so they, 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 they looked for an excuse, he said. It, it was a justification, but it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't really a halakhali correct uh, course of action. They, they didn't want to do Mila, so they, they came up with an excuse. They, they, so they, but it was, a, it was a fig leaf, kind of. It was a technically, it was a plausible reason, but it wasn't really a halakhali justifiable reason. So the, the, the Malbim says something very interesting. He says the based in Moshe couldn't compel the Jews to do Mila, even though between you, me, and the lamppost, the Jews were not behaving correctly, but because they had a plausible excuse, Moshe, Moshe's based in couldn't uh, force them to do Mila. Because they, they said oh, they had an excuse, it's dangerous. I, again, I don't really understand this fully. I mean, if, Moshe, if Moshe's based in as the, 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 as the national authority thought that this reason was not sufficient, he could have told them, sorry, not a good reason. The Malbim says, for some reason, because they had some kind of reason, Moshe's based and wasn't willing to, wasn't willing to, uh, to step in and, uh, and wasn't, wasn't willing to step in and enforce them. But really, they were wrong, similar to what Tabernacle says, according to the Ramban. It was an excuse that they weren't total Risham, that they had some kind of excuse. But it wasn't, really a, uh, it wasn't really a solid reason, and that's why they were criticized for it. Shevet Levi was actually right in disregarding this, 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 this minor, this low-level, this, this small concern, and the Jews were wrong in making a big deal out of it. The Malvim adds a twist. He says that, he says that the, the, the Jews who were Anshe Muhammad, the Jews of military age, they died in the desert, and because they say something in Mitzrayim, because they still had the bad, you know, bad ideas of Egypt that led them to the Miraglim, the lack of faith and trust in the Kodesh Baruch Hu. But the... But he says, and he goes on, he explains, he says, and the Psukim explained that they all had Brismila, but the new children didn't. He said they didn't do Mila, Moshe couldn't force them, because Basin couldn't force them, because 40 years they were being thrown around and peripatetic in the desert, they had an excuse they couldn't do Mila. But the truth is, if they would have been acting with integrity and true faith in God, they, they, that wouldn't have mattered. Uh, that wouldn't have mattered. But at the end of the day, they were, these were the people who were lo shamu b'kol Hashem. They, they, they weren't total Rishayim, but they also weren't those who were 100% committed to the kol Hashem, like Shevet Levi. So they had an excuse for not doing Mila, but at the end of the day, they were wrong, and they, and they weren't the totally faithful, totally observant, totally committed to the, to the word of Hashem. So they weren't doing Mila, even though they weren't completely justified in that, and Shevet Levi were the ones who did the right thing.